Well, that was, that was truly a powerful message, wasn't it? I think at this time of the year, the beginning of a new year, it's a time in which I think all of us reflect. We reflect back on the year 2010, and then we try to look forward to 2011. And it really stops and makes, makes us think about what's really important in life. I know many of you have gone through some struggles, uh, finances, uh, health issues, uh, in marriage. But the one thing that we can always count on is that uh, we can lean on, we can trust in our Lord because He wants to be with us and He wants to have a relationship with us on a daily basis. Well, I want to I extend my happy, happy New Year to all of you as well. Uh, last night, I, I gave the message and I was reminded that it was 1111, January 1st, 2011. That's incredible how, how quickly time really flies. Uh, I know some of you are here, you're saying, Bill, what are you doing up here? <laughs> Well, I want you to know that Pastor John, he is getting ready for the study in the book of Revelation. I know that all of us are looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time. The Lord willing, and if the Lord doesn't return, I, I expect him to probably be in the book of Revelation all through the year of 2011. And I think all of us are excited about that. Pastor John told me... Uh, Monday that he'd like for me to give the message today. And then it was uh, yesterday morning, he called me up and wished me a happy new year. And he told me how much he absolutely loved me. And, and then he said, uh, Bill, make sure you tell them that how much he truly loves all of you and he, how much he misses you today. And I think one of the things I think that all of us love about Pastor John is the passion that he has for God's Word, that it be taught truthfully. And you can feel how, how much the Word of God means to him. And that he doesn't want us just to learn facts from the Bible. Like when we go through the book of Revelation, we may be studying about certain future things, and that might be really exciting. But the bottom line, each time he preaches that message, we should all be thinking about, hey, how is this going to change my life? How is this message going to transform my life? And that's what I love about Pastor John. He has no other agenda but to teach God's Word line upon line, verse upon verse, and he wants to see all of us be transformed by the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And I know if he were here right now, he would say, all right, Bill, that's enough. It's time for you to open up God's word. And so let's all turn to Philippians, the first chapter. And I'm going to speak this morning on the message of living for Christ in 2011. Living for Christ in 2011. As you're turning to Philippians... You'll go by uh, Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you'll go to Galatians and Ephesians, and then you'll come across Philippians. 
If you come across Colossians or 1 and 2 Thessalonians, come back to the left. 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter and verse 12. No one but God knows what this year will hold for all of us. It could be the best year of our lives. Or it could be a year that is filled with trials and hardships. No matter what happens, our God will never leave us. And He will never forsake us. He will always be there. And just like the video said, we need to learn to lean upon Him, to trust in Him, and to rely upon Him, whether in joy or in sorrow. No matter what the circumstances are, He wants to have a relationship with you and He wants to have a relationship with me. So as we look forward now to 2011, I want you to ask the question, for me to live is what? For me to live is what? I want you to finish that sentence in your own heart. And we'll talk about that at, at the end of the message. No better example of a person living for Christ was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul lived fully for Christ in A.D. 61. Some 1,950 years ago. And I, for us to fully understand about the life of the Apostle Paul and what he's writing about here in the book of Philippians, let's go back to A.D. 61 and see where he is at when he wrote this great book. If you'll notice, he had finished his, his three missionary journeys and he was back in Jerusalem. And because he was speaking in the temple about the love of Christ, the authorities threw him into jail and they threatened to have his life. 200 of the king's top soldiers rescued him out of Jerusalem and took him to Caesarea, where he appeared before Felix, Festus, and King Agrippa, and he was there for some two years. And they said, we need to take this man to Caesar in Rome. So he gets on a ship under heavy guard. He goes to Sidon, to Myra, to Fair Havens, on the island of Crete. There, 276 men head toward Rome. On the way to Rome, they have a tremendous storm, a northeast wind that you would not believe, and they became shipwrecked on Malta. Not one of those 276 lives were lost. Paul is bitten by a venomous snake called a viper, but he goes on. He goes on to Neapolis, and he goes to Rome, and there, while he is in Rome, he's put under house arrest. One of the palace guards 
he is chained to around his leg. He's under guard with a palace guard 24-7 for two years. They never leave him. They are in six-hour shifts. And there he writes, he sits down and he writes to the brethren that are at the church at Philippi. And he writes to them encouraging words on how he is living for Christ. He, he writes about the joy that he has. So where we're reading, the church at Philippi read some 1,950 years ago. We're going to read that same portion of the letter today and listen to his words. And by using Paul as our example, we're going to be able to see how in 2011 we're to live our lives for Christ. So, let's begin reading at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord, because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motive, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of Spirit of Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Father, I, as I read his words, I feel so inadequate. But Father, I thank you for the example that you have set for all of us that are here this morning. Father, from these words, I think that we can see how deep a relationship that he had with you. Father, I know it's our heart's desire as well. Father, in this year, 2011, Father, we know it's your heart desire that you would want us to live for you. So, so Father, I pray that you will teach us today from your word. Father, that we may live for you with each waking moment. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we look at the Apostle Paul, I want us to look at two examples that he has of living, living for Christ in the year 2011. The first thing that I notice, that in living for Christ, 
When we live for Christ, we promote the progress of the gospel. The gospel is going to be shed throughout that Roman Empire because of Paul's faithfulness to preach his word. Listen to verse 12 once again. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Nowhere in that reading do we see the Apostle Paul talking about himself. His main concern, even though he was chained to a palace guard, his only thoughts were, how can I live for Christ? How can I share the gospel to other people? He was relentless in getting God's word out, no matter the circumstances that he's in. And that is true for us today. No matter our circumstances, whether we're in joy or sorrow, in the year 2011, the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is encouraging all of us by the way that we live our lives and by what we say is to share the gospel with other people so that they may know about the abundant life and the eternal life that we have through our resurrected Lord. The book of Acts that Pastor John took us tells us a, a lot about this trip that the Apostle Paul took and his destination. So at this time, I'd like for you to turn to Acts, the 28th chapter. In fact, I'd like for you to keep your book marked at Acts, the 28th chapter, and also at Philippians, the first chapter. We will be going back and forth. Both of these coincide in the story about the Apostle Paul here in Rome. So remember, he's under house arrest. He's under house arrest for two years. And in Acts, the 28th chapter, and verse 16, he writes that, that we entered Rome. We entered Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. The one word that I want you to pick out there is the word we. Paul did not take that trip alone. He was not alone. And I want all of us to remember, we're not alone in our walk with our Lord. I think it's so important that we have good Christian friends that are encouraging us in our walk with the Lord. We know for sure that Aristarchus was with the Apostle Paul. He was a companion, and he traveled with the Apostle Paul. And it's also referred to he is called a fellow prisoner of Paul, with Paul. Now, he could be a fellow prisoner. He could actually be under arrest, or he could be just like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul always looked at himself as a fellow prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was a bondservant of Christ. Most likely, Timothy was there because when he wrote the book of Philippians, he addresses the church at Philippi and he greets them along with my brother Timothy. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, possibly was there. But he says there, in verses 30 and 31 of Acts, the 28th chapter, 
it gives us an understanding of what he's doing those two full years with his friends. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. Can you imagine the, how that he was relentless? It was just a part of his normal conversation. People would come to him while he was under house arrest, and they would visit him. And you knew what the Apostle Paul was going to talk about. He was going to talk about the love relationship that he had with Jesus Christ, how that God had changed his life on the Damascus Road in which I saw the resurrected Christ. And he's telling everybody, I saw the resurrected Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the resurrection. He talks about our resurrected bodies that we're all going to have. That some of you in 2010 have been racked in pain because of various physical health. That you're, you're going to have a new body someday. Can you imagine the conversation that he was having? You notice that he wasn't self-indulgent, was he? He's not talking about, he said, the circumstances. He's not, he's not talking about his circumstances. He's not saying, well, they've got me under arrest and so forth. He said, I'm getting a chance to spread the gospel. Paul tells us that the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of us have the assurance if we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, we know that he died on the cross for our sins. He was raised the third day for our justification. And we're going to spend eternity with him. This was the message that he was relentless. The good news, that's why the gospel is called the good news. His name was Greg Kent. And Greg was that way. He never focused on himself. It was about three years ago, I w and I got a phone call from the family, and we met at 5.30 in the morning at Cedars-Sinai Hospital for a six-hour brain surgery operation. And I, when I came across Greg, I said, oh my goodness, this is the Apostle Paul. Because you know what he said to me? You know, and I'm the care and compassion pastor. He says, Bill, I just wonder how God is going to use this to further his kingdom. Greg Kent touched so many people's lives. He really did. You could do anything to the Apostle Paul. Do you remember when Pastor John took us through the book of Acts and he made his first trip to Philippi? They, they beat him. They throw him into prison. And at midnight, what's going on? They've got a prayer meeting, and they're singing praises. They're absolutely singing praises to the Lord. He's not even focused on his circumstances. And then the earthquake opened all the doors, and he was worried about that prison guard because he knew if they all escaped, he would lose his life. So they all stayed, and, they, and he, he preached the gospel to them. He got saved. His whole household got saved. Lydia holds church in the house, and so years later, 
He's now writing to that church at Philippi. Those terrible circumstances that you go through, we don't understand why we go through them. But God has some purpose in it. I can remember Job at the end of his at the end of the book of Job in Job the 42nd chapter in those first six verses he talks about how God you're omnipotent you're omniscient and then he he says I'm the sufferer I don't understand why but it says that he he repented he repented in ashes when he saw the living God he was placing his trust in the living God and that's what we see Paul, the first thing that we can all learn from 2011 in living for Christ, it's all about the relationship that we have with Christ and it's all about other people. It's not about us. And I see that in so many of you. I've, I've, I've worked and served with many of you in different activities here at the church and I see your care and your loving compassion for others. I've seen it at Vacation Bible School, and I could go on and on. But Paul, he knew that it, this was an opportunity for witness, because look at verse 13 of chapter 1 of Philippians. My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. That's the palace guard. Okay, here's what they were. Emperor Nero had this crack imperial troop. And these were palace guards. And they were assigned for two years, six-hour shift, so he got four different men every day because they guarded him 24 hours a day. You know why it was throughout the Praetorian Guard, the palace guard? Picture this. What do you think it was like being chained with the Apostle Paul? Number one, and we can see it from his letters he writes. I can hear one of the guards saying, boy, he sure prays a lot. He prays a lot. And you know, he has so many visitors. Here he is chained up, and all these people are coming to him. And you know, the only thing he ever talks about is his, I can imagine this is, he was probably sharing what I do. I share my testimony. My te his Damascus Road experience, how, it, how he was killing these Christians, and now he serves. I've never seen a man that loves his God the way he does. Some of them may have, some may have believed, and yet some may not have believed. And by the way, he, he sure loves to write. You know, I, I've been watching him, and he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. Then he's, he finished that one. It was only four chapters long, and, and now he's doing the church of Ephesus. And he's writing to Philemon. And he's writing to the, this church at Colossae. See, the Apostle Paul... You know, God put him in that place to write. I, I, I believe that. See, God has a purpose in every one of our... You may look at your circumstances as being terrible. How is God looking at your circumstance? Have you ever thought about that?
what you're having to go through. You know, he was having an impact. Because at the end of chapter, look at in Philippians, turn to the last chapter, chapter 4, and look at verse 22. He was able to reach the highest dignitaries in the palace of Rome. We know that some of them became Christians. Listen to the final words of, of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.22. All of the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The Apostle Paul had penetrated into Caesar's household. See, he was reaching so many people because go back to Philippians 1, 13. It says, My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. I mean, people were coming to him in large numbers. I hope you didn't lose your place in Acts 28. This tells the same story. Look at Acts 28, verses 23 and 24. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law and the prophets, from morning until evening, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. You would say, if you didn't know Paul's situation, you'd say, he is in a terrible strait. Paul would say, this is an opportunity for me to further the gospel. I had the privilege in the, last, in the, in the 1970s to meet a great woman. Well, I didn't personally meet her. I was in the audience along with about 600, 600 other people. And for you older people, her name was Corey Tinboom. And she was in Raven's Book. And during World War II, and she saw these guards kill her family. This woman actually forgave these prison guards. Corey Tinboom. And she writes. And this, this talks about how that if you're going through suffering, how that it, it can even benefit others. Listen to Corey. God had brought me here for a specific task. I was here to lead the sorrowing and the despairing to the Savior. I was to see how he comforted them. I was to point the way to heaven, to people among who were many that would soon be dying. Do you realize that was a courageous lady? And do you know what the Apostle Paul? He was a courageous man. And because he lived the life the way he did, he made other people courageous. Well, he didn't, but God did. Because they watched his life. Because I want you to look at Philippians 1.14. Turn back to Philippians 1.14 again. 
and reading. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Were people watching Paul from that verse? Yes. And what were they able to do? They watched the Apostle Paul as an example. They said they had far more courage to speak the word of God. What kind of an influence do you have on people? We see what kind of an influence the Apostle Paul had. I see a number of young adults here in this service. And I want to speak to the single young adults. Some of you may be going away to college. There might be high schoolers here. Hopefully you're over in 180, but you're going to be on your own, making your own decisions. You could have been in a Christian family, and you get away You get away from your family. You know what Paul says about you single people? You have an advantage over married couples because you can single concentrate on serving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because you have no distractions. In 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about the relationship that he has with the spouse and those that are single. You have a wonderful opportunity, you that are single, I can remember, and let me encourage you, I went away to USC. It was my first big test. I'm on my own. And what I did is what Paul did. He surrounded himself with a lot of good people. I was involved in fellowship of Christian athletes there. And every week, we studied out of these workbooks. And I grew in my faith. And then on Thursday nights, I got to go listen to J. Vernon McGee at the Church of the Open Door. Now tell me, does that get any better? Unless we listen to Pastor John. So I was able to really grow in my faith. What impact are you making? Do you have the single-mindedness as the Apostle Paul to look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel And you rejoice at what God is going to do like Greg Kent did and not complain about what God did not do. Paul said there were people there, Luke said that there were people that had more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So in 2011, you young adults, I challenge you, live for Christ. There'll be people there They're going to try to say, hey, what's going on? I encourage you. I've been walking with the Lord for 58 years. And I have never regretted one minute of it. You know, Fanny Crosby had the adversity of blindness when she was six years old. But that did not stop her. You know what she did? She wrote numerous hymns and gospel songs that were a comfort to millions of Christians, and she was blind. And here she was comforting other people, and here we see the Apostle Paul under house arrest. He's comforting other people, and he's encouraging them. 
Paul says, I want all of you, not just the pastors, I want all of you to proclaim God's word. Even in your school, even in your school. Just proclaim Christ. I don't care if the person is proclaiming Christ, it's for the wrong reason. Maybe the person's trying to cause Paul some trouble. Or maybe they're doing it the right way. Paul says, it's all right. Christ is being proclaimed. The message will get across. Because look at Philippians 1, 15. Look what he says. Some preach from envy and strife in verse 15. Look at verse 17. Selfish ambition to cause me distress in my imprisonment. But then there were those out of love, out of pure motive, verse 16. Of goodwill, verse 15. See, Paul rejoiced that the message was going out. It's not about the messenger. It is the message. He says, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Here's a man in prison, and I counted in these four chapters, he uses the words rejoice or joy 19 times. And he's in prison. Are you having difficulty with your health and, or finances or your marriage? Remember, lean on trusting Christ. Just like our video, which was so powerful. Here's the second point that Paul was trying to make. You want to live for Christ in 2011? Concentrate in these three areas. Look at verse 19. He knew the value of the prayer of his friends, his Christian friends. For I know, verse 19, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. The Apostle Paul knew that his friends, his friends that he was referring to here is the church at Philippi. He knew that they were praying for him. I can't stress enough to you to get into a small group at our church, uh, Home Bible Fellowship, Women's Ministry, Men's Ministry, where you surround yourself with friends that really pray for each other. Also, there is a card in the back of your seat. Please fill this out. If, there's, if you have any kind of a need, every Monday night we pray over the children, their prayer requests, and also over your prayer requests faithfully every Monday night. Also, we have a prayer team where prayers go out through our prayer team. And we will go anywhere if you have a hospital. If, you, if you're going to the hospital, please, would you please contact me at Care and Compassion Ministries. The prayer of the friends is so valuable. Number two, he was encouraged by the provision of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, he knew once you accepted Christ into your heart as a personal Savior, he lives within you. Paul told the Romans, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
He says, God's Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are the children of God. God will never leave you or forsake you. His name was David Jacobson. He was in prison in Beirut for 17 months. The last 45 days, he was in a six-by-six sail. And in this cell, he was alone with his Lord. And Jacobson writes, the presence of God, the great comforter, was stronger than ever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The third thing, the personal determination of the Apostle Paul. This man was relentless. That's found in verse 20. Paul was, just, he was determined not to be ashamed of anything that he'd done. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And don't ever forget that. If you look at verse 20, it says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything. I will not be put to shame in anything. Paul was determined also to courageously live his life for Christ with boldness. If you'll turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, you just turn to your left, it's right next door. And it's at the, it's the last chapter, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes here in Philippians that according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ even now always will be exalted in my body. He's going to exalt Christ with all boldness. He was not timid at all as we study his life. In fact, in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, he writes, and he wrote, this, he wrote this epistle also while he was there under house arrest. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. See, he's an ambassador of Jesus Christ in chains. That in proclaiming that I may speak boldly. And finally, Paul was determined to magnify Christ in his body. If you have the, in the, in the King James, it's, he's going to magnify. In the New American Standard, I'm going to exalt Jesus Christ. In 2011, I challenge you, I challenge myself. Let's exalt and magnify Jesus Christ in everything that we do. But God wants us to live it first. He, want, he wants us to demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in front of other people. And now we speak God's words. It'll make a difference then if you live out. You must live that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's the Greek word megalono, which means... Megaluno in Greek is to enlarge or to show great. He wants you to magnify Christ telescopically. He wants you to take Christ, who's so far away for a lot of people that in this lost and dying world, and bring them close by the reflection of you. He wants to use you 
See, the sun does not produce light on its own. It gets it from the sun. I will, and that's, that's us right there. We must be reflector of God's sun. So, I ask you a question in closing. For me to live in 2011 is, amen. <laughs> For me to live is Christ. I'm glad I didn't hear you say power or fame or pleasure. For me to live is money, is to die, is to leave it all. For me to live is fame, is to die and to be forgotten. For me to live is power, is to die, is to lose it all. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had that assurance because he saw the resurrected Christ and he knew he was going to spend eternity with his Lord. I want to close with his, look at Philippians 4. It's in the last chapter, and it's just before he closes this book. We know what Paul's gone through now, and look how he closes this, this book. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. You feel the boldness? He wants to magnify Christ. And because this is 2010 and 2011, listen to his words. As, as I have my last reading from Philippians 3, 13 and 14. We can kind of apply it to today when we look back at 2010 and look at 2011. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't think we can close without all of us having a personal reflection. In 2010... We either had, we had joy or suffering or we had both. And now we look forward to 2011. Who are we going to live for? Who are we going to live for? It can make all the difference in the world. Mom, it'll make a difference on your kids. Dads, it'll make a difference on your kids. I had a father... He preached the word of God, not from a pulpit, but from his life. So at this time, let's reflect. Who are we going to live for in 2011? Father, I just, uh, I love you so much. And Father, I can just feel in this room right now, I can feel how much these your people love you. Father, life is difficult, and it's so hard at times. Father, thank you for giving us the example of the Apostle Paul. We all feel so inadequate as we look at his life and how much he loves you. But Father, I think you know each one of our hearts. 
we love you too with that same amount of love. Father, may we just live for you this year into 2011. Father, thank you for giving me abundant life and, and eternal life through your Son. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage all of you, make sure you come back next week. You don't want to miss one message in the year 2011. Pastor John's going to be going through the book of Revelation. So thank you so much for coming. We'll see you next week.